So if I say send more email, don't just go and find the worst thing you could possibly do and throw it at your audience and jump from one a month reasonably well-crafted emails to one a day pieces of crap. Don't do that because that isn't smart. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into uh, email. I've got uh, Della Quist, who is an international email expert and the CEO of Alchemy Works and Touchstone as my guest. Now, I first got to know Della through an um, email group that I'm part of called uh, Only Email. It's a private group uh, that you can join and uh, have access to uh, some of the smartest, brightest people in the email marketing world. And our conversation today, I think really got me thinking and uh, will have me thinking for a long time. So Della shared some very different points of view on how we can leverage our existing email lists uh, that our businesses have to improve our results and move the sales dial. So I think this is going to be an episode that you're going to have to listen to probably a couple times because there's a lot of information and make sure you check out the show notes because again, there's a lot of information and uh, he did give us some good takeaways. So I want to formally uh, just introduce Della and a little bit more about him. So he's the founder and CEO of a company called Alchemy Works and Touchstone. And he estimates that he's clocked about 20,000 hours thinking of email. So obviously, there's no way we're going to cover all of his knowledge in this short podcast. In 2015, he found the Touchstone, which is a intelligent marketing uh, suite of software that's based primarily on a unified proprietary infrastructure. And it records and analyzes all of your previous campaign data history. And the product category, it falls into three main categories, reporting and predictive analysis, machine learning, and it is compliant with uh, GDPR and CASEL and other future legislation requirements that require transparency. Dell has also published an ebook called Fear and Loathing in Email Marketing. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes and a series of essays that have characterized characteristically of a live and unconventional take on email. He's a popular international speaker on all matters email and his thought-provoking views and, and lively style, which I'm sure you'll hear shortly here, regularly receive rave reviews. Dell has served many years as a member of the UK's DMA email marketing council and he's also served on the executive management of the iab and a steering committee of the future of european advertising stakeholders so with that uh, great introduction of an awesome guest i want you to sit back tune in listen and learn to della quist so welcome to the real marketing podcast today della well, Dell, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. I just want to say thanks so much for coming on and looking forward to you sharing your knowledge with our listeners. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here and thanks for asking me. So one of the things that got me super excited um, about looking at a lot of the content that you write and your bio and your background is that you are seen as a bit of a contrarian in, in the email space. So do you want to share with our listeners, you know, how that came about? 
Yeah, uh, contrarian. It's 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 one of those words that can be taken more than one way. I often take the opposite view, but I don't always take the opposite view. I think that I'm I'm a contrarian when it comes to conventional wisdom. The the way my mind works is that if everybody is saying something, then my mind goes that can't be right because nothing in the world is black and white. It's always gray. So, and the other thing is opportunity tends to exist where everyone else is not. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where the contrarian things thing came from with regard to email. I moved into email. My, my, I'll give you a quick run through my background. Sure. I started in media and advertising with magazines first, IDG, magazines like Computer World and Computer PC Week were titles that I was working on selling advertising to brands. And they were all controlled circulation titles. And it made me immediately understand that a magazine was only as good as the audience that read it. And the better the quality of the audience, the better the response that magazine was likely to generate. And the pages and the content were the interface between the advertiser and the subscriber base. Sure, that makes sense. So back in when the internet first came, I was like, oh my God, here is an interface that's interactive. And I, I couldn't wait to move into digital. So I was one of the first people from traditional media to move across. And I started working with Excite in 97. And while I was there, I came across, uh, I did a project on, they, they were one of the first to put out a, a free email product. So Hotmail had just launched. They looked at it and thought, we need to do something like that. And I was involved in that project. And I transferred that media knowledge. And I thought, oh, this is even better because the advertiser doesn't have to pay to reach these people at all. Email marketing is absolutely cool. And that's why I went there. But I also knew quite a lot about direct marketing as well. And one of the things that I did, like most people, and most people in email are from a direct marketing background. They're very few from a media background, and that's where the conflict arises. So media is about reach and frequency. You want to meet as many people as possible, as often as possible. And the only constraint is your budget. Right. Yeah. Direct marketing is slightly different. The cost is exponentially higher. The unit cost of reaching an individual is numbers in tens of cents, if not dollars, tens of dollars even. And so direct marketers are obsessed with wastage. Okay. So targeting isn't, didn't come from not wanting to annoy people. Targeting didn't come from, you know, not wanting to be spammy, although they had their own word junk mail, which drove them nuts. And I suppose that did have an impact. <laughs> yeah. But that was the real driver and they all moved into email. So they were taking this idea that has its roots in cost and extrapolating it to something where the unit cost is nearly zero. Even back in the day, I mean, we used to be able to sell email like for 15, 15 bucks a thousand. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> but even at $15 a thousand is still a fraction of a cent per subscriber or person per recipient. And now, typically, what you're paying 30 cents a thousand, 50 cents a thousand, it, it's tiny amounts. So if you could get TV advertising for free, why would you not send everyone the same message all the time? It doesn't matter. That's what spammers do. It works. But that is a problem. And I started out where they started out. I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I used to say things like, if people aren't opening your email, don't mail them. And it's a really bad idea to do that. You really want to try and send as few emails as you possibly can. And our clients just wouldn't listen to me. And that was the genesis. I went, I'm going to prove these 
idiots wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, these wonderful clients wrong. (laughs) And so the first time I tried to do that was uh, with a very big media client of mine, and they had a list of about two or three million subscribers, and they were sending out a weekly email. And back in the day, we're talking about 2002, a weekly email was high volume. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. You know, we, we're now in a place where very few people send less than two or three a week. Many send daily, uh, one form or another. And so I wanted to show them. So on my dollar, I separated the list into, well, I created three lists. The first list was everyone who hadn't opened an email for a year. And there were, it was about 50% of the list, 45% of the list, let's say. Then percentage of people who had opened within the year. And then I had an empty bucket. So what I did was every time someone opened for the first time, I put them into the active, okay? Yep. And every time someone went inactive, as in they went over the year's threshold from the active, I put them in the empty bucket. Does that make sense? So yep, ABC. Makes sense, yep. So, yep. and basically I was going to show him what a bad idea it was that these guys were never going to open. And do you know, I ran that test for four years <laughs> and for almost the entire time of that four years, we were getting a constant open rate of about two or 3%. Now that's incremental. Okay. Sure it is. Yeah. That's a pretty, yeah. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, this is crazy. I can't tell this guy to take two or 3% of incremental opens off their list just because I think that they're unengaged. And it was showing me they were engaged and we kept doing that. And after four years, I think, the list had dwindled to a rump of, I don't know, probably about 20%, 25% of the total list. So it had halved in four years and there were still people opening. But what I saw that over time, the open to unsubscribe rate tended towards one, okay? Open, unsubscribe, open, unsubscribe. And that's when you know a list is truly dead. So after about four years, the only people who open unsubscribe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not good. But it took a very, it's, it's not that bad because the numbers are manageable, right? It's, yeah. it's two or 3% or 25% of your list at any given time. It's, it, it's quite manageable. And if you know what you're doing from a deliverability perspective, that's not something that, that would concern you. And as I say, we're an industry that talks about giving consumers choice to do what they want, except keep, it, keep not opening an email. We can't give them that choice, can we? No, that's on them. And so I, and email's the only channel you can actually unsubscribe from, okay? You can't opt out of TV. You can't opt out of magazines in your newspaper. You can't read the New York Times online without saying, yes, I accept all these crappy ads. No one complains about that. No, it's funny in email how you're you're right. People complain about ads and and sponsored emails and advertising in the emails, but uh, all the other channels, like you said, even social obviously are full of ads. It's everywhere. And I, and, and that's the thing, there's a sort of, there's a puritanical zeal about email marketers, <laughs> which doesn't exist anywhere else. Everyone else says, yeah, yeah, we're marketers, right? This is our job. It's our job to sell stuff and we're going to do that. But email marketers use words, you know, it's the only channel I know where experts advocate doing less. Can you imagine going to a TV conference and they say, hey guys, you really, really should be putting fewer ads on TV. Well, I think maybe the issue really, at least what I've seen, lots of it is around content and like you said, and it's misinformation. So I'd seen an article you had written about why CMOs are underestimating email. So, you know, for our audience, where do you think the kind of the low hanging fruit is? Why are people missing the boat and the opportunity to leverage this uh, media channel to grow their business? In a word, open rates. 
it, open rates are something that only, actually, I'll go back a step. The first thing is that they perceive email to be old-fashioned and intrusive. And they say what everyone else says. If you ask anyone, do you want more commercials? They go, no. So no one asks that question. But email marketing constantly asks their readers, do you want more email? And of course, the answer is no, right? Sure. So if Facebook said, hey, do you want to see less ads? People would say no. No, absolutely. Yeah. They never. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, and the only way to make them sort of kind of say yes is they say, would you like to see more relevant ads? And of course, the answer is yes. Who's going to say no to that? Yeah. The question is phrased in a really stupid way. So because there is so much information out there about, oh, and first of all, the other thing is everybody, everybody gets email in their inbox. It's the only universal application. So everyone has a view about it in a way that maybe TV ads and stuff you don't have. So CMOs go, oh, yeah, we don't want to do this yucky email stuff. That's the first thing. It's at the back of their mind. If you go to a dinner party and you say, oh, yeah, we're the guys with the um, Geico commercials. They go, oh, wow, they're so cool. That must be really cool. You, TV, that's exciting, right? If <laughs> yeah, you go, right. we're the guys who send you that Geico inbox, they go, oh, my God, my inbox is full of that crap. I don't know why you send it, blah, blah, blah. So you're immediately on the back step as a CMO and you care about brand, okay? Sure. Yeah. And all CMOs care about brand. So the perception is that email's destroying their brand, but TV commercials are not in some weird way. Facebook isn't either. I don't know why. An ad in the New York Times, no, 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 that's not, a that's not destroying my brand, but an email is. And so they then say, we have to have high open rates. And high open rates are incompatible with one of the most important tenets of marketing and advertising, which is reach and frequency. If you look at open rates, the more you send, the lower the open rate, all things being equal. It just happens. If you have a bunch of people on the list who haven't opened for a long time and you remove them, your open rates go up. Okay. Yep. So open rates make you do two of the most stupid things that you can do in advertising, which is reduce your reach and your frequency, and then go, what a great job. Yeah, because you've increased your open rates. But like you said, you're not in front of your, uh, your potential customer, your audience. Yes, you've reduced your total opens, right? So you've taken away the people who would have opened for the first time in a year, but haven't for a year. Okay, that's two to three percent every time you send an email. And the second part of it is by reducing your frequency, you're reducing the opportunities to see and opportunities to engage. Well, I was getting nervous because I just I just put out a blog post yesterday. One of the things I talked about was was treating your subscribers with respect, and I was I actually shared my open rates. So I'm going, uh oh, am I going to have to go revise my post after we finish the podcast? Well, you know, treating your advertisers with respect. It, what you have to do is track what I call open reach, and open reach is your cumulative unique opens, okay, or total opens, right? Yeah. So if you send one email a month you will get an open rate of 15, 15 to 20%, okay? I'm being reasonably generous. If you send a week, that's gonna to drop to about 10, maybe a bit below, yeah? So eight to 12%. Ergo, I'm sending too many emails, right? Yeah. If you count total opens, 20% of 100 is 80, okay? And 10% of 100 times four is more. So sure, they're getting so they're reach, getting a, yeah. they're getting 400 opens when they used to get 200 uh they sorry they're getting 40 opens when they used to get 20 and that's the problem so if you switch away from open rates to total opens it gives you a completely different perspective of what you should be doing um another weird thing 
is that human beings on average will open between about one in about one in six between one in four and one in seven emails that they receive no matter how many you send now that's a good that's a good piece of knowledge right so if yeah. you send one a month you're going to get one open a year maybe two okay <laughs> if you send one a week you're going to get six or seven I'm sorry, six or seven opens. If you send one a day, you're getting 30, 40 opens a year. So my question is, who's more engaged? Someone who opens one email a year or someone who opens 30 emails a year? So would it be fair to summarize for our listeners that uh, for all of you that have a email list, uh, increase your frequency if you want to increase your engagement and your business? That's correct. And I'm now going to invoke my very, very, very important rider. Okay. <laughs> I call it hashtag DBS. Okay. Which I now say means hashtag do be smart. I used to say hashtag don't be stupid. <laughs> don't be stupid got me no fans. Do be smart gets me fans. <laughs> okay. so, so what does that mean? If I say it's safe to, to leave a building, don't tell me not if you jump out of the 10th floor window. That's just stupid, okay? Or please take care to leave the front door and exit in an ordinary, ordinary orderly fashion. Do be smart, right? That's right. the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I say send more email, don't just go and find the worst thing you could possibly do and throw it at your audience and jump from one a month reasonably well-crafted emails to one a day pieces of crap. Don't do that because that isn't smart. It's a bit like Geico, right? Geico are ubiquitous on television, but they've had to be really smart about it. They're not using the same commercial. They've had to develop different personas. They have to pay a lot of money to actors and script writers and copywriters and, and, and come up with funny scenarios and scripts. And yet, if I say Geico, everyone knows it's 15% in 15 minutes or less. Everybody knows that, and that's called marketing and advertising right? So when I say send more email, do be smart. So let me give you an example of being smart. If you're sending one email a month and it's got four pieces of content in it, break it down into four individual pieces of content and suddenly you got one email a week. You didn't kill anyone, you're adding value and you didn't break yourself in terms of resource. If you want to go to two a week or three a week, then you have to be work harder on your offers and your copy and your subject line and your creative and all of that kind of stuff. That's what you have to do in order to make sure that, that you're not doing them a disservice. You're adding value. And so long as you add value, people will tolerate almost unlimited frequency. Well, that was my next question. My next question was going to be, you know, if you're sending, um, if you're sending a couple emails a week, so it's eight a month, you know, how many should be value based? And I say, you know, adding value to your life. So when after you open it, you feel better having opened it and read it, then oh, no, another ad just to, you know, someone saying, hey, buy my crap. Okay, so, so first, versus the ask. First of all, what could Coke tell you that adds value to your life? What could any brand tell you that adds value to your life? And if it does, you need to get a life. That's my view. But let me take the step back on that. <laughs> Just be honest, okay? Just be really blunt about this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? I really want people to think of my brand in this meaningful way. Nonsense. You sell shoes. What is wrong with you? <laughs> right? So but let's take a step back from that and let's start being, being uh, helpful. Now I know why you're not popular at parties, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here's a paradox. 
if you, and by the way, there's thousands of surveys. Adobe has a big one out there. They ask consumers what they want in email and all of that sort of stuff. I, I, I can point you to hundreds of them. There's lots of what consumers think about email survey, okay? And you ask the question this way. If you say to them, what do you want? Uh, give me, uh, you give them a list of things that they want to see more of informative things that help me understand the product better. Oh yeah, yeah, I want that, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, and you, you go through a list of things and they're framed in such a way that makes the marketer feel good. So, you know, product information, letting me know when things are in store, all of those sorts of things. And th those are kind of perceptually value add stuff. The paradox is, is the number one thing they want when you don't ask them that question is, the number one thing when you ask that question is, I want more offers. I want more deals and more offers. So when you say, what do you want to give them the list? The number one is always offers. When you flip it and say, what are the things you don't like seeing in your emails? The number one thing is deals and offers. So the same person asks the same question in two different ways. What do you like about your email? Deals and offers. What don't you like your email? Deals and offers. It's number one in both sides of the equation. The one thing I would say is that deals and offers is about 80% when it's what do you want to see more of, and it's about 50% when you want to, what do you want to see less of. Oh, wow. So that tells you. You, you probably want to put stuff in uh, like that. Um, and the other thing is that question implies that everyone opens every email so that they know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you're already they saying one, one in six. Yeah. They'll open them out, and one in six is good, right? One in four yeah. is awesome. <laughs> one in ten is okay. <laughs> so that's a ten percent open rate. Okay. So, so the point about it is that they won't open every email, so they don't know what you did. And the funny thing is that the email that they open is probably the one that has the deal in the subject line. The emails that they don't open are the ones that say lots of fluffy news about my company. No, they don't want to do that. There are exceptions. I'll take Patagonia, for example. I mean, the folks who are Patagonia's customer base, they're outdoorsy folks who would eat that stuff up all day long. Do you see what I mean? It's a lifestyle thing. So Absolutely, if you say, yeah. find out about this, that, and the other in the Himal Himalayas or Himalayas, as you would say it, they want to eat that up. They want to see, see that. And they go, oh, yeah, well, look at Patagonia. They're able to do that. But if you sell insurance, you cannot do that. No, you can't. Yeah, that's right. Yep. No one gives a damn. <laughs> and so in actual fact, with insurance, we've had insurance companies that we worked with for like a decade. And I can tell you now that the timing they open the email is the timing of when they need insurance. It's almost impossible to get an insurance client to open an email about an insurance policy that's 10 months away from expiring. You can make them buy another policy by saying, hey, we know you've got home. Do you want pet? Right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But it's really hard to get them involved in, you know, things that insurance companies shouldn't be involved with, like saving the world. So let's just change gears for a minute. Do you want to share a specific example of a client where you uh, you worked them through this process and took what they were doing? Now, you can share their name and give them a shout out or not. Uh, entirely up to you. But just for our listeners, walk us through an example of how you took this approach and kind of transformed somebody's marketing to a happy ending. Well, a, a good example, it's a case study on our website. It's Aviva Insurance, and, and insurance is a good one because it, it's very hard for them to come up with meaningful content, right? Patagonia, they are not, and it's a, it's a have to buy rather than want to buy. No one wants to buy insurance. And they were extremely mindful of their audience and not upsetting them, etc. I can't give you specific numbers, but they had 
several million people that they had email address of and their policy renewal date that they weren't mailing because they weren't in-life customers, okay? And the reason was they're not our customers, they're not in-life, et cetera, et cetera. They had permission to mail them, they had everything, it was completely above board, but they just weren't mailing them because they felt that wasn't a good idea. And the other thing they had was they had a, a maximum touch threshold for all channels that would have been silly for email on its own, let alone all channels. So they didn't want to waste touches. Like if they made, if they sent eight emails, that meant they couldn't make a call to the person or they couldn't send them a, a piece of mail, in, a, a letter in the mail. That was kind of the rule at the time. So we got them to separate email touches from all the rest of the touches and just allocate a certain number to email that allowed them to email those folks regularly. And I said, look, let's do a trial because we don't want to go crazy by just taking several million people and mailing them when they hadn't got anything for a while and just mailing them weekly. That, that we, we don't want to do that, okay? And by the way, what we recommended they did was the newsletter that they sent to in-life customers, they just extend it to prospects. Okay. Yep. Or uh, prospects and ex-lapsed customers. That's basically what it was. And so I said, let's take, because I really wanted to learn from this. So I said, let's take 12 pots or 12, uh, the words I've gone blank, 12, Seg uh, segment? 12 segments, 12 yep. samples, right? Yep. From the list, one for every month. So 12 months out, 11 months out, 10 months out, da, 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 just, just lapsed. Okay. And we will monitor those for a whole year and we will just drip them onto the weekly email that you send to your customers. And we start, and their key KPI was quotes. Yeah. Online quotes filled out. Okay. Yep. They blew, they, they stopped the test after one month and rolled it out to the entire base within one month because they just blew the roof off with the number of quotes that had been taken. Wow. So this is a list, like you said, they had permission, hadn't mailed because they were no longer uh, in light. Yes. Yep. They had set up yep. rules internally yep. based that were not based on any research, no testing. They just decided these folks didn't want to hear from them and they just didn't mail them. It was just a, there was no reason for them not to do that legally or, or, or anything. You could say morally they shouldn't do that, but I, it, they were, those folks were still seeing their ads on TV. So I, I, I don't get that. Well, and coming back to your point is that email is one of the channels that you can opt out to not receive advertising, which we can't do on TV, radio, or social. No, that's right. You can't even stop Zuckerberg following you when, when, when you log out. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a whole different topic. That's right. let's, not go, let's not go there. <laughs> but you can. But that's what I like yeah. about email is actually, yeah. and by the way, because of that, I love unsubscribes. Makes sense. I mean, if I don't want people on the list that don't want the content. If you don't like the content, um, just do me a favor and unsubscribe Correct. versus um, having it go, you know, skip the inbox and go into the junk folder. Just get off the list so it'll improve my uh, my sender reputation and deliverability. Yes. And, and here's another thing is if you increase your frequency, right, spontaneous recall of your brand goes up, right, and net promoter score goes up partly because you're losing the haters, right? Yep. And partly because you're giving a brand impression more frequently. Well, and when you said that earlier, it made me think of, and I know this is a, this is, this might be a trigger topic, but Google ads, you know, if you're running the ad, you pay when people click, but you know, to your point, people still see the ad, still get the brand impression, uh, whether or not they click. 
and that's what Google would like you to think, right? <laughs> As well. So they say, I know you're paying me 20 bucks a click, but yeah. you're also getting all these brand impressions. Yeah. Okay. They want you to think that, but, but in email, you're getting those for free, right? All those additional brand impressions are as near as damn it free. They are, it's, it's a, a hundredth of a tenth of a cent. That's a thousandth of a cent. It's a ridiculously yeah. low number. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's why a lot of people abuse the uh, this channel is because they see it as free and they just, ha you know, I call it hammer your list or blast your list and they go, hey, how come it doesn't work? It's because you're sending people, you know, um, offers every single hold, day. Hold that, on a moment. They, you yeah, just described hashtag DBS, right? <laughs> yeah, that's no, right. No, no, don't no. be stupid. I, yeah. I don't see that. In fact, in fact, I see the opposite. Every yeah. major brand that I see is under mailing their list. Well, I've seen the other side where I've got clients that that, that go that want to go completely the other way uh, without uh, producing good content. I guess it's the client base that I have, right? Yeah. Yep. The client base that we have are people who are protective of their brand and everything else. And so I kind of have the opposite problem. The other thing is that rather than trying to stop those guys sending as much email as they are currently doing, right? And by the way, I would argue you were looking at metrics like open rates rather than total opens. If you had been looking at total opens, I've never seen total opens fall with an increase in frequency. It's impossible. Well, you need, at the end of the day, you need to move the sales dial. And clearly that approach, if you're not producing, like you said, good quality content. So if you're doing good quality content, to your point earlier, once a month, um, don't go to twice a week and, and send out really crappy content. Yes. I also want to go back to that point about open rates. They probably had made their open rates drop to about 2 or 3% or 4% or whatever it was, but they're now sending daily. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so they've got 300 opportunities at 2% of their list before what were they doing once a week so they had 50 opportunities and each time they did that you know eight or ten percent of their list so net net it's very very hard to get incrementally less people because it would mean that the last email that you sent got negative opens that's impossible right and i've never seen an email go out that not one person opened never unless it went out to like five people or 10 people or 100 people right <laughs> but if sure. you send out to a million or 10,000 or 100,000 whatever it is you're going to get one open and that's an incremental open that you wouldn't have had not counting the brand exposure so the other part of the content and the other part of what maybe you people folks miss when they say oh yeah i saw these people blasting the hell out of their list and it wasn't a good idea is what you didn't see was the impact of the unopened emails. No one tested around that. No one went to find out what spontaneous brand recall was. Nobody went back to have a holdout group to see people who were not getting any emails and see whether they spent more or less than the folks who were getting an email every single day. No one sat down and thought of a strategy and, and we think a lot about subject lines and we didn't talk about it, but I, I can send you a link which you can share with everybody uh, to a white paper that we wrote on Zen and the art of subject line testing, right? But if you have one email a week, you've got 52 opportunities to tell a story about the length of a in a tweet, right? <laughs> if you <laughs> send right. daily, you've got 365 opportunities to tell a story in tweet size chunks. So you tell the story, okay? And you sort of say, I mean, uh, and this is what I say, or, or remind them of the message. So if it was like Acme Insurance, and you sent out a daily email that said, Acme Insurance, home insurance for less, Acme Insurance, home insurance for less, then a bit of a subject like Acme Insurance, home insurance for less, we're great guys, Acme Insurance, home insurance for less, uh, we give you this. 
home insurance for less because of that. If you say to someone, who are you going to go and get a, a quote from? They'll say Acme. And you say, why? They say, because they do home insurance for less. It's called advertising. Okay. <laughs> so if this was TV, you might tell them, oh, no, no, make your commercial a bit better. It'll be more effective. But you wouldn't say advertise less. You just would not say that. Right. Yeah. Fair, fair comment. So sorry to be uh, to be contrarian, but that's that you know that's that's the heartfelt view that comes from advertising, marketing, taking into email, and seeing your email marketing activity as creating your own direct to market channel that you don't pay anyone for. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean you don't pay to to distribute it, but like you said, there there is a cost of of uh, you know producing good quality content. Yes, and that's so, where the money should go. Yeah. So what are you most excited about in the next six to 12 months? I mean, you've got your finger on the pulse and we're seeing all sorts of topics around social, where social is going and restrictions and, and where Google's going. And we've got this, you know, conversation around AI for CRM and for advertising and now for email. So what, uh, what keeps you up at night? What are you most excited about? Oh, I, I knew I, I was going to say, don't ask me this question because first of all, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Six, six to 12 months. I mean, what, what, what happens in six to 12 months? Nothing, right? You know, the, the things that we see, uh, let me put it this way. If you'd said to someone in 2000, where do you see mobile in, in six to 12 months? They couldn't have come close to predicting where we are with mobile, right? Smartphones and all of that. If you'd asked me three years ago, where do you think we'll be with anything? I wouldn't have been able to predict where we are, okay? And so I'm always very wary about predictions around technology. I much rather predict human behavior because human behavior in large quantities is very, very predictable. And I suppose the thing I'm most excited about goes down to a tool that we've built, um, which is around machine testing. Okay. And this is what it is. Everyone says test, test, test. Okay. And test, test, test means you take a sample of real customers who are about to buy. And by the way, your AI has told you these guys are definitely going to buy in the next week. Okay. And you're trying, <laughs> to, right. and you're trying to decide what creative to send them. Okay, and how to put the message. It's incre incredibly risky at that stage to start trying creative treatments and everything else. So you'll probably just do the same thing and say, oh, I can't risk this because they're going to buy. So I'm going to do what I've always done. And machines can't learn without testing. And as more AI comes, we're going to have to test more. And my view is that we're going to burn out our lists purely testing. <laughs> okay, we just, we just, there aren't enough people in the world to be able to let all the machines learn. And so we've built a tool called Touchstone, which allows you to use your historical campaign data or allow your algorithms to learn from historical data or our algorithms to learn from historical data. So when you type in a subject line, it tells you whether that subject line is likely to perform well or not. And if so, how much above average or below average it will perform without actually having to send out an email to anybody. And well, that's pretty sweet. The tool's been out for a while, but the reason yeah. I'm saying in the six to 12 month framework is more and more platforms are coming out <laughs> with machine learning kind of algorithms requiring people to test 10 or 15 variants of everything every single day. And so what I'm seeing is that the market is coming to a product we built a couple of years ago. So it's kind of like, thank God for that. Any, another five years and I'd be dead and I wouldn't see anything. <laughs> so I, I think that 
machine learning or machine testing has got to evolve in order to accommodate machine learning because there just aren't enough human beings in the world for all the AI to learn from. So you're taking, you're saying you're taking, just to be clear, legacy data from marketers from previous campaigns and performing the analysis based on that data. Correct. Okay. Correct. And here's the interesting thing is that uh, the other thing that is so good about it is we've, we've, we don't use PII. We don't use any personally identifiable behavior or subscriber level behavior. We just use campaign behavior, which means we're GDPR compliant, number one. And number two, I think that consumers are getting a bit uncomfortable about how we are using or how people are using what they know about them to make them do stuff that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And what I mean by that, you talk to most people in, you know, with predictive machines or, or, or talking about relevance, they're selling it to consumers as, oh, we'll give you things that are relevant. But what if things that are relevant to me are bad for me? Right. Yeah, I was I was thinking we're going to get to this this point where everything's going to be vanilla because it's going to be based on people's actions and inactions. And we're going to remove all the creativity and the opportunity that because it's, you know, it makes people uncomfortable. So let's not show them something new. Let's just show them something that they already like and they'll buy more. Oh, but worse than that, it amplifies things, right? So you're, you're absolutely right. And that's a very, creativity cannot happen if someone doesn't experience anything new, okay? If they only experience what you know that they're going to want, creativity doesn't exist. Have you thought about this? If I found out that every time I showed you a picture of a fluffy kitten, right, next to six donuts you went and bought donuts right you you don't even know you're doing it okay but my algorithm has told me kitten plus donut equals sale right yep and i and the machine because it's a machine doesn't give a damn right so what does it do it keeps showing you kittens and donuts and kittens and donuts and kittens and donuts and you're buying donuts and donuts and donuts and donuts and suddenly you're 300 pounds well then that's where the, insur the insurance comes in you can now sell them insurance and uh, gym membership uh, yeah. So now we get to a place where we get them obese so yeah. that we can make more money out of them on gym membership and insurance. Uh, da, 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 da. I think yeah, that's yeah. a class action lawsuit waiting to happen personally. But yeah, so the point I'm trying to make is that there's yeah. two things. By changing, what I'm predicting is that we're going to actually go back to broadcast thinking, right? Because the machines don't care. And worse than that, most people don't even know what their machines are doing. Yeah. Google figured out that their language algorithms had actually created a new language that no one understands and no one knows. That's the way I read it. I, I, I heard it described because they realized that it wasn't when it was translating from English to Hindu, right, or Hindu to French, it wasn't going directly, it was going through another medium. So it had created a central language that was common to everything and it was translating via that. And no human being understands that. Oh, and I've given me something that'll keep me awake tonight. Thanks. <laughs> so that, that, that's the worrying thing about letting algorithms loose on your customer base. So, so the point I'm trying yeah. to make is that by, by sticking to campaign level data, we will allow the machines to come up with insights that aren't based on harming a particular individual so things like gender and race 
and location and neighborhood will be removed from the equation. And I think consumers will be more comfortable with algorithms that learn that way than algorithms that learn from very, very precise data points about them. Yeah, there's nothing worse, that, at least for me, than having an app when I, you know, for example, I go to a CrossFit gym. So I, I, I go into the gym yesterday in the morning and I, I turn my phone on for, so I can look at my past performance and look at what I'm going to lift for the day. And right away, my app says, hey, must be time to start, you know, your Under Armour app because it recognizes where I am. Yeah. And that I use that to track me going, when did that start? When did it now start uh, geotagging me when I showed up to this location at this time and know that, hey, I should be starting this app to track my workout? That's the challenge that we've got. It, it happens and it doesn't always feel comfortable, right? And I think that smart, when you get to a certain age, you've seen the pendulum in business move backwards and forwards several times, okay? So <laughs> when, when I first started out, everybody was talking mainframes, big centralized computers, right? That was the big thing. And then, then we were pushed and said, oh, no, no, you need to decentralize. And so they made mini computers and then microcomputers and then the PC came out, okay? Then suddenly they moved from desktop to sort of client server. Now client server is mainframe again. Okay. So they went, they pushed us all, all the experts pushed us all the way down from one big thing to everyone having their own individual, right? Then suddenly they started trying to bring everyone back together with the whole idea of client server. Okay. Then we've come back down to everyone having their own devices. And guess what? What do you think the cloud is? The cloud is mainframes all over again. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I just think fashion and business models work in such a way. And by the way, this goes back to being a contrarian, right? As soon as everyone's doing something one way, someone's going to go, what if we did it a different way? What they don't think is, hang on, we've done this before, because mostly these days, most people in business are 12, right? <laughs> most engineers are 12. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Most marketers are 12, right? And all, and there's an obsession with, and that's why I didn't like your six to 12 months out question, right? Six to 12 months out questions make people think, I've got to know this, I've got to know that, da, da, da. And they make decisions that are not necessarily good for the long term, but maybe great for the short term. So I get this new skill and my job, you know, I'll be able to get a higher salary or, you know, the company will be able to do this, but you know what? I won't be here to suffer the consequences when everybody's got that. Or you move into a company and go, oh, this is all crap. But someone was really excited about that five years ago. And that's one of the things that concerns me about the way we do business is it's very short termist. Well, the reason I ask is because, you know, over the years going to various conferences and, and meetings and sessions and speaking to different groups, you know, I've seen that lots of times the conferences that I'd go to, like the DMA, and I'd talk to vendors on the floor, uh, I would see stuff there that would take years before it would be into the, you know, to the mainstream marketing world. So what, you know, I'm excited about, you know, in the next six months is something that I've maybe been looking at for several years. That's just not even common knowledge to my peers or my clients. And what would that be? Um, I'm like the, I love the change in technology. I like the integration with uh, now using uh, geofencing, uh, multiple data points and starting to tie people all into, um, into some of the new CRM technology that's out there. To what end? I'm asking these questions for a reason. To what end? Why are you excited? Because I like the disruption. I don't disagree with you. And and by the way, I, you, I'm you being disruptive. If you like. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, and that was a double negative. I think in principle, I agree with you simply because I'm being disruptive, right? <laughs> okay. And I think that 
what isn't being disruptive is we're using disruptive things to make more money, which is not disruptive at all. It's what we've always done, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not everybody. Some people do the, do the vanilla stuff because they want to stay there. True. Um, but, but I think that the goal is to sell more stuff, my stuff to you, okay? And my goal is to make sure it's my stuff and not my competitors' stuff. That's the goal of everybody. And so when I step back, I just see these as, as new ways of selling more stuff to people, okay? That, that's the way I see it. And also, like you, I've been, I'm in the space. So the stuff that is new to most folks isn't new to me. I mean, AI and algorithms to make predictions, we, we started doing that in, in 2010. So I yeah. guess it's not new to me. And what I'm talking about is what I think is coming but most people will not be able to see where I'm at, okay? I'm seeing through what you're seeing now, and I'm looking at it and going, I know where this is going, right? We're gonna hit a place where everyone's gonna start coming backwards and going to another place, and I'm kind of preparing for that. And that other place is somehow there will be through legislative moves or just consumer backlash or something, clamp down on our ability to do the stuff that you're talking about one way yeah, or another sure. and i'm thinking about yeah. the stage after that well I, I just look at the fact that i still get emails where people can't put my name on them so you know if you can't do the basics like um you know include some some of my data that you've got you know there's a lot there's obviously lots of opportunity for them to increase their response and have better engagement doing doing the doing the simple stuff name a big brand that did that to you can you think of a big brand that's done that recently or or, or just generically you mean if somebody like i i, I don't know uh, under armor right if under armor misspelt your name or got it wrong in an email what would happen well i just got a so you asked me so i i pulled it up here i just got a email from fitbit so i'm a fitbit fan yeah and what i got was a huge image didn't address my name so i'm a client i've bought lots of stuff from them yeah. i've done their i've done their their ad where they sent me, hey, a joint venture, why don't you buy a bracelet from Tori Birch for your wife for her Fitbit? So I've done that. And it's like, seriously, that's all you can do is send me an image. Okay, that's interesting. So two things. I always wonder why people did things. And I don't assume they're being stupid. I think they're being clever, right? And maybe that's the thing. I always assume people are clever. <laughs> I don't think they're stupid. So yeah. here's two things about that that I find quite interesting. First of all, are you going to throw away your Fitbit and stop using the tracker? Nope. No. Okay. So who cares? That's the first thing. The second thing is Fitbit are in exactly the place that we were just discussing. They know where you are. Okay. They know what you do. They're monitoring your heart rate. They are exactly the sort of company that will be in the crosshairs of any legislation or consumer backlash. Have you ever thought that they've decided it's not a good idea to do that. And they would rather one or two experts yell about that, right? Yeah. Than actually run the risk of a class action lawsuit based on the fact that everyone is treating them like Facebook and hating them, right? That's that's the big question you should ask. Yeah, I like them. I like the, I like their brand, but for, in terms of me buying their new their new offer, no. But you're right. I mean, that's the next question is when are the insurance companies going to have access to the Fitbit data when they're doing doing an evaluation? And I suspect you didn't buy that offer because either you didn't have the money, or your wife already has that, or you've got well, a better gift yeah. for her. I, yeah. I really don't think it's because they sent you one nope. image that you didn't like, because otherwise spam wouldn't work. 
right? Spam works because they just happen to put something you wanted in front of you. That's what I tell people. If you don't like spam, then quit <laughs> buying stuff from the spammers and they'll quit sending it. Yes. And also quit buying stuff off TV because all of those ads aren't targeted particularly or they didn't used to be. So so I guess what I'm saying, and I think that the Fitbit example is a really interesting one because what I'm seeing, and here's what I remember. This is another case study. Tesco, largest supermarket in the UK. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but you yeah. know they're responsible for a big chunk of every dollar that's spent in the UK. And back in the day, someone using this very, very subject personalization, we're going back quite a long time. Okay, We're going back to maybe six years ago, seven years ago. And there was this outrage in a DMA newsletter about, can you believe it? Tesco know who exactly who I am. They know every dollar I spend because they have my credit card and I use their club card and everything else. And they sent me this email with diet information that was clearly aimed at women, right? Surely they know better than that. And Tesco, I got kind of riled about it because they were my client. I was protective and I spoke to them and I said, well, we don't comment, but you can feel free to comment. And I asked them a bit about it. Here's the first thing they said. We never, ever target diet. Never. Right? We don't separate men from women. We don't make the creative relevant to somebody. We don't imply we know you're fat. We don't imply we know you're thin. We apply nothing. We give everybody the same creative because we don't want to live with what will happen is if a large person opened a, a, a thin person's inbox and found that they got these diet ads and the thin person did not. We don't want that. And we want to be able to sell diet products by putting them in front of everybody, right? And we don't mind how relevant they are because the consequences of targeting and relevance are untenable to us. Wow. That's a totally different perspective. That's a new way for me to look at this because I would have been, yeah, target, target, target. That's why I'm contrarian about this. Do you get what I mean? I had a very, very early insight from a client who gave me a viewpoint six years ago that's made me look at where we've been going and going, this can't continue, <laughs> right? And sure, I may have missed tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars by not investing in companies that do this kind of targeting, right, in the meantime. Okay. But the bottom line is a backlash has to occur and we're getting close to it. And I think what's happening with social media at the moment is probably an indication that the tide may be turning. I may be wrong and they may fix it and go on a bit longer, but it's, it's something to think about. Uh, and, and that's what I mean, you know, going back to which experts do you follow and all of that sort of stuff. I tend to listen outside of my own space because I think you hear the most interesting things there. And so that's why when you told me the Fitbit story, I'm like, ah, ha, 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 I know where they're going. They're in exactly the space that they shouldn't be doing that, right? Which is fitness, health. They know your heartbeat, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> they know, they know how often I use it. Right. I mean, I mean, look at that. I mean, they, yeah. they got a product that they, like you said, they send me an email, but beyond the email, they know um, my daily habits. Yeah. And would you like the idea that maybe insurance companies had access to that, for example? No, no, no. exactly. Well, so, I, actually, I don't, I don't mind now. Uh, five or six years ago, I wouldn't have wanted that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, mean, I get a better rating now than I would have got then. Yeah, and, and those, are the, those are the kinds of things that, that, that keep me up at night, right? They worry me, okay? Because on the one hand, I've got to help clients sell stuff and lots of it, right? 
on the other hand, I know that that they want they push me towards you know this hyper personalization and hyper targeting and and hyper segmentation. Okay, and I can deliver that all day long, right? I can deliver that. I can tell you exactly well I, within reason. I can tell you who will open the next email. Yep. But the next thing is okay. Knowing that's one thing. What should you say to them? And that's the only place where the debate happens with me. I know who. The question is what, and that's where I can help them. See beyond where they are today yeah. into a future where they have a really good mix of broadcast and targeted. So it's not so obvious and intrusive, right? We're used to broadcast. We're okay with broadcast. We like some personalization, not too much. But if everything was personalized, to your point, we end up with gray. Okay, <laughs> everyone gets the same. Yeah, nothing new. It's all the same. Okay, so the time to shift gears. Where can people find you? Where's the best place for our listeners that say, "Hey, you know, I need to exp I need to explore what Dell is saying more. This is a different view. I need to reconsider my strategy for my email." So, where do they track you down? Hoping that they do, because as I say, I've said a lot of controversial stuff, and I, I think a lot of people will disagree with me. But that's okay. Those who want to find me, the best way is LinkedIn. I've got a very unusual name, Delaquist, D-E-L-A, and Q-U-I-S-T. I'm very findable on LinkedIn and uh, Googling me is equally easy. Once you do that, I'm very contactable because I've been around so long that all my personal details are all over the web. <laughs> they are. <laughs> my email address, even my phone number isn't particularly difficult to find. So um, yeah, L LinkedIn is a good place to start. And if, if, they, if you're not connected to me or you're too far away, just in the invite, just say, I heard the podcast and I will, I will add you and we can connect. Cool. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking your time. I've enjoyed reading and following you online uh, over the last uh, years when I first met you, I guess, through the only infl or only email influencers or whatever the, the group's called that we're in. Um, yes. And so, <laughs> so it's been good. No, and I, I, I've enjoyed being connected with you and following you as well. I like what you do. I, I, in fact, I'm, I'm now going to be listening to a lot more of your podcasts than I have done historically. And hopefully I haven't made you not want to follow me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's good to get a different point of view. Like you said, you know, I, so often, you know, people are all going the same direction. And I'm super excited right now about email because I've got clients in, you know, some spaces where they can't advertise in social anymore. So the guys that are in crypto and the guys that are in the CBD and, and those types of spaces that they're being restricted. And I'm going, so how do you like email now? Yes. Uh, you you can't advertise on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter anymore or Instagram. It's just not an option. So, you know, what are your choices? Are you going to go back to banner ads or, you know, look at sponsored dedicated email where people, you know, have signed up and they're going to get a relevant offer and there's not those sort of restrictions. That's absolutely right. And the other thing that they will have is that everyone on their list will be someone who's agreed to speak about the subjects and receive information about the subjects, which is such a good place to be, especially in those spaces when there's an uncertainty about a laws in different areas, but also just, you know, being seen to be intrusive in ways and that tends not to happen, happen in email. Um, the other thing that I was going to say is the article that I just wrote that you referred to, which is, you know, why CMOs 
tend to underestimate email. It's because it's so big and it's so big that it's hard to visualize. And one thing is that everybody that they want to reach has an email address, right? And so if they can find good ways of getting them onto the list, giving them, you know, content that's worth having, spending some money on the quality of the output, they can send at a frequency that will probably make them money and that will be pretty good for them. Well, I think that's probably for me, the biggest takeaway for our listeners today, for people that are afraid to mail their list, that they can increase their frequency. Yes. And without upsetting anybody and anyone who feels bad about it will almost certainly unsubscribe. And that's a good thing because only a crazy person would say subscribe just so that they could be mad at you every time they sent an email, you send them an email. <laughs> It'd be like, why would they do that? <laughs> Well, one of the, the things that we said off air before we started recording, you said, I'd like to give people something they can take away and do right away. So there's something, listeners, you can take away, do right away without having to write a check or do anything. And that's simply, you've got your list, you've got your email service provider, you've got some content. And Dell is saying, hey, talk to them more often and you'll see a, you'll see a better result at the end of the day. And hashtag DBS. Do be smart and don't be stupid. <laughs> there we go. So thanks, listeners, for tuning in. I hope you found this uh, this interview and this conversation provocative. And I hope it uh, got you thinking in some maybe some different directions on how you can uh, grow your business and you know have a better engagement with your clients. So uh, I want to thank again to Adele for taking time. And uh, don't be shy uh, to sign up for our email newsletter. And uh, I'll introduce you to more guests like Adele. So thanks again. I look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting DougMorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.